Hello everyone, welcome back to an expert and the ideas. Today, I have Colin Cronin with me and um, he has been working in the higher education sector for over 15 years and he has experience and across student support, recruitment, international affairs, program development, and uh, Colum is passionate about elevating student voices and empowering uh, cross-cultural collaboration. Colum found created Dublin in December, a program to support and connect international students while campuses are closed for holiday periods. Taking inspiration from this project, similar models are subsequently being rolled out in a number of institutions across the world. He also developed and managed a study abroad program, which was voted the best in the world by studyabroad101.com. Colum is also the co-host of the Adventures in Advising podcast. So, uh, welcome to our show, Colum. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, so let's start by telling us what exactly is advising. Advising can mean different things in different contexts, which is interesting. I suppose in the UK, advising is probably best known as personal tutoring. So advisors would be referred to generally as personal tutors in the United Kingdom. There are different types of advisors. So in American higher education, you have what's known as academic advisors. And in the American university sector, students have a lot of choice within their courses. And so advisors would help to guide the student in terms of making the best choices for the, stu the student's intended outcome. But they work with the students on any number of, of different areas and they help to signpost the student to other support services within the institution. So very often advisors are the first port of call for a student um, when students have questions about their course, about the university, about anything really very often they will go to their advisor and say this is a query or this is a problem I have, can you help me solve it or if you can't can you direct me to somebody who can help me solve it. So that is I think in, in a really small nutshell, that is what advising is. And that is, I suppose, a little bit around kind of what personal tutoring is. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I think in our university, um, we, uh, we also have advisors, but the advisors are not full-time advisors. Yeah, they are like lecturers or like other professors. And um, they would like, you will be paired with uh, an advisor at the beginning of your studies. And you will meet up with uh, them like once a year or twice a year. And uh, they will guide you in choosing your modules. Um, because um, in the UK, um, the flexibility of the curriculum is like much less compared to the US. Like you basically fixed, um, and you are basically fixed into like a certain all the modules in first year and second year are basically fixed. Maybe you get something, you get to choose something in the second year, and there are more options. Um, there are more options to choose in the third year, but the in general you still stick to learning the things that your sub 
your the the things of your subject. But in the U.S., I I'm not really sure. But from what I have heard from other people, you you get to choose some other modules, some other uh subjects that are not included in your major, and so they have like more flexibility. But also means that students need to make a tougher choice probably. Um, but I think in um in St Andrews, um, it's I, I would say that this uh luck is a good thing and we are very lucky to have a more flexible curriculum than uh, most of the universities in the region that um, students get to choose one subject apart from their like one to two subjects apart from their major the the major the subject that they have chosen when they apply to university so that they can explore different options and some of them even switch their degree to another subject yeah I, I think that's the Irish and UK systems are very similar in many respects they're they're almost like a train track and once you're on the train track you're kind of going in in one direction I mean you may have a little bit of choice here and there in in relation to kind of languages that you might take or certain subjects but if you're doing engineering chances are you'll do almost all engineering modules I, I think St. Andrews, from what I understand, does have a, a little bit more choice. It's, it's a, maybe more American in, in certain ways than, than other institutions. And so there, it probably does have that, that flexibility. And it's interesting that your advisors at St. Andrews are also lecturers. That wouldn't be at all uncommon in the United States and elsewhere as well um, to have faculty advisors. So they work both as advisors and as lecturers. Um, it, as I said, it's given different terms. So I, I used to work at Trinity College Dublin at one point before I moved to Dublin City University. And at Trinity, they have tutors. So each student is given a tutor when they come in to university. And that tutor helps them to navigate like Trinity is more than 400 years old it has lots of different rules and regulations so the tutor is there to help the student navigate so it can be um, beneficial to have somebody who is on the academic side of the house um, to, to help students with that I think at other times it can be beneficial to have somebody who, who's not an academic so there are benefits um, to, to both models certainly and um, uh, I'm glad to hear that you enjoy the system at St. Andrews and the choice that uh, it gives you. Yeah, um, I think um, because um, for us, we have uh, advisors are uh, basically um, the, the uh, lecturers and the professors. Like I can't really imagine there is a person whose job is only advising or major or like majority of your work is basically advising um, because um, like um, at the beginning of the term there might be a lot of students coming and asking for uh, advice for choosing modules but um, after that in, during term times do you have other duties or other things that you assist students with? Yeah, so um, I, I suppose a lot depends on the number of students that you have and the, so, so, so some, some advisors may be very focused on particular areas and other advisors may be broader. So for, and, and for example, I have worked a lot in, um, with international students over the years. So a lot of the time um, in some roles, my focus has been 
primarily I had one role where it was almost all immigration queries. And so, um, you know, students may go to see the advisor in engineering or the advisor in the business school and they might have a query about their modules but they may also have a query about immigration and so they would be potentially sent uh, to me in relation to the immigration query and that was in one of the jobs that I, I used to have um equally i suppose like advisors can very often you know be that for first port of call as i said so for students who are maybe new to a country or new to a university advisors are frequently the first people that they meet and so they can build up a rapport with the advisor so they will um, go back to the advisor for questions so even when they've settled into the university advisors act as signposts so they can guide a student and say okay this, this is the person you need to speak to or this is the department you need to speak to um and again, I suppose I, I'm aware at different institutions, you might have advisors who are focused on PhD students because that, that can be, you know, a, a PhD student works with their supervisor and they, yeah. depending on if it's in humanities and social sciences, they might be working really very much on their own apart from the work with the supervisor. And so they might need additional help and support. Um, you, equally in the sciences, they're in a lab, but they, they, you know, they have a different sort of student experience to most undergraduate students. I'm also aware that you have advisors who work with mature students. So students who are over 23 who come back to college. And sometimes that's people who, you know, might be 25 and they're used to the, yeah. the university environment. But equally, sometimes you have people who come back who've been away working or, have, um, you know, raising a family and, and suddenly they're coming back to university after 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And it's a completely new environment for them. So the advisors would help those students to settle in, to get to know about the supports around um, university, to maybe direct them to a writing center if they're not used to academic writing. So there are lots of different ways, I think, where uh, and, and, and different cohorts and sometimes advisors, if it's a, you know, an institution where there are many students, advisors might wear all of those hats. So they might work with international students, they might work with mature students, they might work with postgrad research students. So there can be lots and lots of different things that advisors do. Yeah, that sounds really special and really interesting to me because um like in the UK as far as I know, like I I think there are like apart from the academic advisors, I think there are also some other student services, like maybe um I don't know, like counseling services, stuff like that, because I never use them and uh, I also never know anyone who has used them apart from the academic advisings. And um so um um, so I think it's a really interesting and also I can see that the university has put in so much effort to ensure that students has like the best experience and has the people to guide them. But um, uh, but the first thing that 
uh, we need to, when we want to help students is that um, we need to um, like uh, get students to actually ask for help, get students to actually approach the advisors. And I think this experience can be quite daunting to like uh, the freshers of the university that um, although they face a lot of difficulties, they may not be really um, willing to voice out their uh, their concerns, their 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 concerns, their confusion with a person they don't really know. So how do you solve this problem? Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And I think there are different ways in which you can go about trying to build a rapport with students. As I said, advisors are very often the first people that students meet, so that can help. I mean, sometimes an advisor is in touch with student even before orientation. I think some of the other um, things that can help is I see um, peer advising in, in, in many respects. Um, you, I, I know that there are kind of peer-to-peer -peer advising programs that run at a number of different institutions. And so students are trained to assist other students. So um, you can have maybe second, third and, and final year students or postgrad students who have experience and know the university a little bit and they're given training to help with other um, students uh, to, to help them settle in to, to university life because it can be daunting you know depending yeah. on where you're coming from new institution perhaps new country new continent yeah. um and so i think that would be something um that i would see as really beneficial students speaking yeah. to other students and then ensuring the students are, are, are well trained enough so they they're of benefit and they're able to dispense certain advice but knowing where their limit is you know like they're not going to be yeah. a trained counselor or anything like that so they can help a student to to a certain point and then they can um pass the you know the student on if they need additional help to an advisor or direct them maybe to a, a counseling center or maybe it is an issue around fees or finances so they direct them to to that office depending on what the the problem is but sometimes just not knowing where to go and having a friendly face and somebody who has gone through that experience before can make a, a real difference, um, especially early on when you're first in the institution. I think as you move through the, the institution, you, you, you maybe become a little bit more sure of your surroundings, a little bit more confident and you're more likely to approach an yeah. office yourself. But I think those um, student to student support is, is really, really good. And it's something that, you know, I know a lot of institutions do when they look to yeah. bring students in early, particularly at orientation and to have maybe those student supports act as tour guides as well. So, you know, you might get a group where you have a, a student guide who acts as um a student support, a student advisor, and a student tour guide. So they might have a group of 10 students. And on orientation day, they help to guide the students around campus, get to them to know a little bit, and therefore the students know them and they can approach them. So that's yeah. one, one thing I think that can be really, really good. 
Yeah, I found that um, like peer-to-peer -peer support is actually much more common and much more well-developed here um, because we have a lot of mentorship schemes and we also have uh, uh, like we have a lot of mentorship schemes like um, and uh, you get a lot of opportunities to speak to senior students here and um, they will give you advice and you can also ask questions and yeah so I think um, yeah so and uh, they, they will tell you more about university life in general or any like uh, life advice or like ac academic related advice and um, but um, this year we have everything is like online everything is virtual and um, like uh, it really depends like whether the mentorship is successful really depends on the commitment of the both sides that sometimes maybe one of us just doesn't reply to messages and disappear yeah yeah i mean certainly this year has been a year unlike any other and it has been challenging i think for for everyone for students both students who were in university who had to transition to online learning but also new students who came from uh, a school environment into universities and they didn't have those communities of support to lean on so it was certainly very challenging and and that's where i think we need to realize that the virtual space is very different to the physical space yeah and you can't merely replicate what you do in the physical space in the virtual world it, yeah. it doesn't work you know you can you can try and squeeze it in but it's a different shape you know it's like trying to put it uh, you know a, a, a round peg in, into a square hole it you can if you if you shove it enough you can maybe force it but it's not the best possible fit so i think realizing what the virtual environment can be used for and the way in which you can facilitate um, the the learning environment and the supportive environment within that is really really important but it's it's definitely been a challenging year for everyone and i think everyone has been chasing their tail a, a little bit because you know nobody was able to predict it and um i think we were all hoping by you know as we headed into the spring semester that you know we'd potentially be looking at more kind of face-to-face -face interaction but we haven't seen a vaccine yet and yeah so it's it's just not been possible so i i absolutely understand why you know students would find this year particularly challenging i can just yeah. tell you that from the staff side of the house and from talking to lecturers they too have found it challenging because to give a lecture online <laughs> is 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 can be much more difficult you know because yeah. you, you have to put all the work into preparing it but you're not necessarily getting the feedback in the same yeah. way and again that's what i'm saying you have to think about the virtual space rather than the physical space because the way in which we we uh, absorb information and the way in which we interact is totally different um, in a virtual environment. And that's where it can be really challenging on a social side of things as well, because if you are new to a university, okay, and you go along to a student society event, yeah, and if you don't know anyone, 
you can kind of, if it's in person, you can hang around on the periphery and you can maybe talk to one or two people on the side. And so, you know, you can nudge your way in slowly and get to know people in that way. But in a virtual environment, you might be in a Zoom room where there are 20, 30, 40 people. And suddenly, you know, you, you don't have always the benefit of being on the periphery and I I know from talking to students sometimes they felt really put on the spot because maybe they're called on to introduce themselves and they they think but this isn't what I wanted I just wanted to kind of sit in the background and kind of get to know people slowly and to have um, maybe a kind of a, a, a discussion with people it's fine if you're very confident or you're very outgoing or you, you're sure of your surroundings. But again, for, for younger or more introverted students who you know, are new to university, trying to find your feet, find your voice can take a bit of time. And so to be in this virtual environment where you're called on um, and you know, all your peers are, are looking at you as you're called on to, you know, answer a question or to, you know, uh, make an introduction or, or be what it is, it can be quite a lot of pressure. And you're worried about making a mistake. You're worried about look, looking foolish, particularly in this new environment. So I think that is something that needs to be considered and factored in. Yeah, that's very true. And um, I think I have seen really divided outcomes of this virtual mode of learning that um, some students do really well, um, but some students are not really like online learning or online socializing is not really the thing for them. And um, like some students really benefit, actually some students, it's not all negative. Uh, we are not completely uh, pessimistic about the situation. And um, some students found that, um, especially senior students who has already meet friends and make connections with other students, um, they actually really, some of them actually really enjoy online learning because it saves them time. They can rewatch the lecture whatever time they want. They can like, they don't need to wake up at 9 a.m. To, to go to rush to the lecture hall anymore they just they can wake up at 12 and then we watch it and like they can their life schedule can be adjusted in a more flexible way and um and they also don't need to like go around the campus to f- like not really find the space but like it saves you travel time that everything is online and um and it just saves you time and you can watch lectures into a speed. And um, yeah, so some students actually really enjoy um, learning online. They think that this mode of learning is really efficient and uh, they can just, they can focus on the things that they actually want to learn. They actually want to, um, want to work on and just ignore the things that they don't they already know they yeah they already know they're already familiar with and um but you know on the other hand some students are really struggling in online learning like um it's very difficult to uh, focus on the lecture facing a screen and it might also be more boring and you don't get to make friends and like um and um like you don't get you don't really it is different and sometimes it's really for like for some subjects or some people it's really hard to explain how to solve a problem when it's online and you have to 
like we used we used to have a we have a whiteboard online whiteboard for us to draw write equation on it and basically everyone writes really ugly and very messy and it also doesn't replicate the feeling of writing everything down on you know on a piece of paper and passing it to uh, people to see and um so the whole interaction uh the whole discussion uh thing is like it might not be as same as uh, in person uh lessons and what would what advice would you give to students who find online like online activities online learning really hard i would say firstly it's understandable if you do because this is new and and it's not what you were used to you know and it's not what you probably expected when you were going to university so whenever something is is a little bit different from what we expected that can be difficult to make that adjustment and and we adjust at different uh, paces and we adjust in different ways so if somebody is struggling it's to recognize that you know that's understandable and that's okay and i think that there is help out there is is, is the important thing to to recognize and to find a way of obtaining that help in a way in which you're comfortable so if you're comfortable to you know approach the lecturer directly you could potentially do that you could email them and 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 explain the situation if you don't want to do that can you talk to your tutor or to your advisor if you don't want to do that can you talk to um, a, a student um, support uh, is there is there some sort of is maybe the the student union have an education officer or a welfare officer that you could speak to maybe there is a class rep you could speak to but there will be somebody out there that you can speak to and I know it can be daunting but it's to find which of those supports you feel most comfortable with and then to approach that person and to outline what the situation is how it is that you are struggling and then they will be able to either provide the help and support that you need or direct you to the person who can provide you with the help and support that you need so it might be that you know you um you need uh to to go to um, a learning center some institutions ha have those that, that can help maybe it's it's just having a chat with somebody who took the class previously maybe it is the lecturer explaining a particular concept to you um, to better un understand it or maybe there's there's something more going on and and you know it, it is something more serious and, and maybe you will have to chat to to a counselor but taking that first step i feel is the most important step and so finding a level of comfort and and, and taking that and asking for help yeah that's really useful advice and i think if the students actually approach an advisor the student has already done a really good job on taking their first step to like um, ask someone about your problem because if you never ask anyone you never get support absolutely that's that couldn't have put it better myself yeah so you mentioned that you mainly work with international students and what do you think the biggest struggle of international students is i think there are 
a number of different um, struggles. And I, I don't, I think one of the, one of the struggles I have is, is when we talk about international students as a block, as like, oh, all international students are like that. It's like, well, no, they're not because no, there is no one block of international students. There's any number of different cultures within that. And even within, um, you know, certain, um, you know, cohorts of international students, there will be differences. So I think yeah. we as, um, institutions need to realize that um, international students are not one homogenous block and um, that that support needs to to be varied but that the experience of being an international student is challenging in, in different ways than it is for domestic students because you are talking about a new country uh, potentially a new continent potentially a new language so for instance like when i say that international students aren't a homogenous block like the experience of um if you were to take a, a student from north america from the usa or canada who comes to the uk or ireland okay they have the language so they can settle in but they also have an immigration piece. So they have to meet the immigration requirements. Whereas somebody from Italy might have to overcome the language barrier, but they don't have um, uh, an immigration requirement. So they, they, they face di very different challenges. So when we talk about international students, we need to consider that the, the challenges are different. And sometimes, for instance, I'll hear th things said like, oh, we, we're not having any alcohol at this event because of international students. And I say, okay, you know, choosing not to have alcohol at the event makes sense, but don't say that's just because of international students, because there are plenty of international students who may want to drink alcohol. Yes. So pinning that on international students makes no sense to me. Um, you know, so so it's that that's sometimes where I think people um, need to consider what it is. If you choose to have, you know, no alcohol good that's that's fine that's a choice that you made and i i can totally support it and understand why you might make that decision but yeah there there might be very valid reasons why domestic students wouldn't want alcohol at an event yeah. so you know it can or, or you might you know so i think it's we need to be very careful about othering international students in some yeah. respects but i do think that we need to recognize that it is a challenge to move to a new country that you are getting used to a new environment and that you might need some additional help and support especially initially to help you to 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 get um up and running in the country i equally think that we need to think about the way in which we sometimes expect international students to just integrate into life in the country that they're in. And we do nothing with domestic students around talking to them about the differences in culture and what culture is. Because yeah. I, I know that when I went to secondary school, we really didn't talk about culture, you know, and culture was so deeply ingrained that it was something that you, you experienced, but you never thought about or, or talked about yeah. it. And, and I so think it both... cannot be taught. Like, um, it's a thing that you have to experience, like go to other countries and talk to people from different backgrounds. And uh, even within the same country, you can also have different cultures. And um, in terms of the stereotype thing, um, I think it's really true that like, uh, like we cannot stereotype a certain group of people, no matter like everything 
like you can stereotype a group of people and international students is also the same i found it really funny that it says no alcohol because of international students because uh, most of the international students i know actually do drink and uh, it's just a minority of them doesn't drink and some locals don't drink as well and um, exactly yeah and um and i think for the culture thing it is also a a very uh, divided, um, it's a very divided argument because like um, we want to encourage uh, people to actually blend in the culture but at the same time it's also not about abandoning your own culture, your own traditions, your own religion, your own personal beliefs and um, it's like uh, you have to, you have to, um, you have to uh, encourage like we don't you don't want international students to only hang out with people coming from the same country the same country as them but at the same time um we also need to respect their like religion their uh, their traditions and they might have a slightly different style or live style of living and um it's kind of divided that it struck this uh this struggle many international students and i'm also international student so i kind of know that um sometimes we also we also struggle that um if we doesn't do certain things we think that we are not being good enough we are wasting the opportunity to we, we have the opportunity to go to a foreign country to study and then we don't do certain things that local do and uh it's like kind of wasting the opportunity or wasting the wasting the experience here but at the same time you don't want to be like um completely abandoning your own beliefs your own culture and it's a kind of struggle between the two mm-hmm. yeah i know it's ex- exactly and i think it's but it's about re- for everyone recognizing even what culture is so for example I, i've sometimes had students come to me and say oh, this group of students they don't speak any english and i'll know that group of students i'll say why are you saying that oh they don't ask questions in in class and i'll say but like have you considered that might be a cultural phenomenon like in some cultures you don't ask questions in class um you know because that's disrespectful to be questioning a lecturer and so um you know that that's very very often not the case in the uk and ireland in the usa you you ask questions you're you know you you you, you're allowed to ask questions you're allowed to question the the lecturer you're allowed to disagree to it respectfully but you are allowed to do that but it's different in some cultures so instead of like kind of we don't talk about that we don't teach domestic students about different cultures and so you know for for sometimes for the international students they see these students being really they feel being really disrespectful because they're asking questions and they're you know disagreeing and so that's where kind of culture can butt heads and and if you don't I suppose stop to think about what it is and what it means and how it impacts us. That's where the real difficulties can arise. So, because communication across different cultures is really different, and so you, yeah. you really need to be aware of that, and and that's and that's part of it. So, I think um, that's an area where universities could could do a little bit more to 
um, help students, uh, all students, not just international students. We need to recognize that all students, you know, culture is, a, is a, an, um, something that all of us experience. We all have cultures, yeah. we have different cultures. And as you said, within countries, there can be different cultures. Within cities, yeah. there can be different cultures. And so to recognize that, but recognize that, that it is a, a real thing and to, to help us to better understand. And if we can better understand, then the differences are, are less, um, I suppose, um, scary because if you don't understand something, then it can seem like, oh, that, that's, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. When the, whereas if it's like, oh, right, in your culture, that's that, okay, I can understand that. Tell me a little bit more about that. So I think that's one thing that institutions could do a little bit better on um, at orientation yeah. is, is looking to do, like, you'll never know all the cultures of the world you just can't do it yeah. but recognizing that there are recognizing that you have your own culture and your own culture has you know different aspects to it and maybe different biases and that's important yeah um that's that's quite true and um like um you can't really yeah you can't do you can't really teach culture but at the same time you have to like um I uh, guess students, like those students can know of the culture, but um, for the asking question, for the asking question in uh, lectures, I think like for is it's probably true, but I'm not sure whether I count this one as a culture. It is it's a culture, but like um, probably in Asian countries, you don't ask a lot of questions. But personally, like I come from Hong Kong and I would say that students doesn't ask questions just because they doesn't want to ask rather than is uh rather than they feel that it's a respect is disrespectful actually in hong kong like teachers really want students to ask questions because like um when when they're in elementary school everyone asks a lot of questions everyone like like raise like try to try to be the first one who raise up their hands but like when as it, as they move up to like uh high school like we call it secondary school but like uh as they move to higher grades they gradually don't want to ask so many questions don't want to like doesn't engage much with the uh, students in the class and um probably just because they think that like um they think that it's not necessary and it doesn't really help them there it, it it's just that yeah you can say we can say this just their habit and it's not necessary because they think that it's disrespectful but actually um, sometimes we, we see other uh, people other students from other uh, countries they re they are really actively asking questions and we treat it as a very uh, we think that they are very motivated students we think that they're very active and we generally treat, treat this as a good thing even though like most students in Hong Kong doesn't do it yeah it, and that, that's what i mean I, there's there's all sorts of different reasons and, and different motivations and it's just not to get too caught up in that and, and to think that it's yeah. because that this is this is definitely the reason behind this yeah so um like um i think like um like because of like kind of globalization, we are having more and more like uh, students traveling around the world, go to like maybe they study abroad, maybe they're like, they are uh, get into like exchange programs like temporarily um, uh, study in another institution in another country. And um, 
like uh, there are more exchange of culture and uh, our new generation they get to know more about different cultures even though it's not completely perfect they I think they still get more cultural exposure than like their previous previous generation um, but it also means that there's chances that there will be conflicts or like not really conflicts but like um uh, like clash of different cultures different beliefs um so what do you think should be done to prepare students for that uh do you think culture can be tossed not in the classroom setting but probably in another way um, I think you can learn about your own culture. Um, I think going back to what I was saying earlier, I think a lot of times we don't understand culture. We don't understand exactly what it is and how it came about. And so we think that it's almost innate. And culture isn't innate. Culture is created. We, we as people create culture. Now, sometimes we create it you know, over hundreds of thousands of years and it becomes so deeply ingrained into our psyche that we just think, this is how people are. But, you know, like, because, be, you know, Irish people behave in certain ways, German people behave in certain ways. But that's because of just what you were exposed to growing up and your beliefs. Um, so I think helping people to understand what culture is, that it's created. And I think that would be a, a really, really positive first step. Um, for example, you know, in Ireland, okay, we are, we're known for, for being a very indirect people. We don't, we don't ask direct questions and uh, we don't tend to give you a direct answer if you ask a question. So part of that is in the Irish language, there's no direct yes and no. And, and that is, you know, language is fascinating, but that is some, that bleeds into culture. So because in the Irish language, there was no direct yes or no, then you have to, talk kind of around the subject if you were asked a direct question well you talked about the subject and around the subject but you never gave a direct answer and then when we started speaking english that became the norm that you just didn't give a direct answer yeah. so that becomes your culture but if you don't stop to think about where it came from or why it came from now that's that's an interesting piece but that's you know that's all it is it's an interesting piece and that's what culture is it's it's good fun it's enjoyable and it's part of our history and heritage but we did create it and so um we we recognize that other people did the same and i think if you know your own culture and, and you know where it came from and you know how and why it was created then i think that um you know it, that would help you to understand other cultures and potentially for there to to be better understanding fewer misunderstandings uh, I th so while you while you can't learn about all the other cultures, if you learn about your own, that will help your understanding of others. Yeah, that's a really good point um, because, like uh, nowadays, uh, I would say, like for example, globalization. We we are making like we are actually our culture, everyone's culture, every con most countries' culture is actually getting more and more uh, unified with uh, other countries and culture can also like, uh, culture of different countries can also like blend into together. And um, I would say that 
um, I would say that uh, gradually there are less and less cultural difference because like uh, I realized that no matter uh, which country you go into, uh, most of the time people are talking like people are talking about like uh, like um, like um, American stuff uh, like um, American TV shows, American comedy, Hollywood films, and uh, and like uh, certain video games that people around the world all play with, and um, people are the cultural, the culture of the world are actually getting more unified and um, less diverse. Um, I'm not sure whether this is a good point, but. Um, but um, it also means that young people are getting more attracted to like certain global, certain global culture rather than their traditional local culture. And that happens quite a lot in like Asian countries that um, young people in Asia, they do not celebrate a lot of the traditional festivals, traditional stuff anymore. And um, so I think, so I, that's why I find your point really interesting of understanding your own culture, because um, like, although you may not celebrate your own uh, cultural festival anymore, like, for example, like in, like, we don't, we don't, like young people, they don't, maybe they don't celebrate certain festival anymore, celebrate certain they don't follow any traditional customs anymore, but uh, some parts of the culture is still actually being inserted in their lives since they are since they are born, and they're not realizing it. And um, understanding their own culture by understanding their own culture, um, they would actually look back on why we do certain things, like why we think that, why we think that asking questions is impolite, or why we think that, um, like why we think that um, you should you should uh, respect the elderly, respect the seniors and stuff like that. And um, speaking of the language one, I still find it really interesting because I've heard that like there's some, there's an exotic language that doesn't have the words of left, right, front and back. So whenever they want to point a direction, they say north, south and west, west, east or something like that. So they always use that direction instead of the direction relative to yourself. And those people happen to have like better sense of direction because of this. And it's not because they're born with a better sense of direction, but it's rather because they are they their language is structured in a certain way or consists of certain words or not consists of certain words that makes them that's kind of transform their way of thinking so i found that is really interesting yeah i i i think uh, language it, it it tells you an awful lot about a culture um and the way in which people speak and, and, and how they speak. And, and when you look at how words are formed and the way in which um, we formulate sentences and the way in which we structure sentences, I really find um, language to be truly fascinating. And, um, you know, I suppose being from Ireland and having both Irish and English and, and seeing the differences between them and seeing how sentences are constructed. Um, I, I think that is part of the reason, I suppose, I feel Ireland has created so many, you know, well-known writers and poets is because we are, we think in Irish, 
but we we speak in English. And in some ways that forces you to be creative and it forces you to come up with new ways of, of utilizing the language. And so when you look at somebody like James Joyce, who's who's known for you know creating this entirely new kind of um, way of way of writing a novel um, in Ulysses and in um, Dubliners and in Finnegan's Wake, that that came about because of um, Joyce's um, history and heritage. So, for me, um, language is is always fascinating, and I've always enjoyed learning about it and. Um, I, I think for me, a, a really interesting insight into culture can very often come from comedy, um, particularly in Ireland and, and the UK. Um, if you if you see what makes people laugh and you see um, how and which comedians go about constructing that, that is really interesting. And that tells you a lot about um, a culture. So to me, for one of the things that when I ran the study abroad program that I used to do um, with the students was to bring them along to like different historical sites, different cultural sites, but always to include comedy. Now, a lot of times students might not fully understand it or get or get the um, you know, the subtext of it. But we talk about it afterwards and talk about how the joke was constructed, why the comedian joked about that, why the Irish people in the room found that really funny. So, and that goes back to language. So to me, um, language uh, is, is absolutely fundamental to, to culture. Yeah, that's really true. So right now, um, higher education in Ireland is done in English, but the people still use Irish? Um, is it like that? Um, well, I, I would say we, the English is the is the the the, the language the, the the main language spoken. But for if you go to school in Ireland, primary or secondary school, so when you're from your five up until your eight, seventeen, eighteen, yeah. you have to take Irish. So Irish is a subject; it's a mandatory subject that you must take. And I still think that it's um, you know, it takes it takes centuries um for kind of massive cultural changes to, to happen when something has been so ingrained. So we will always think in in Irish in, in many respects. And, um, you know, while in, if you come to, to Ireland, you know, ni- you know, in 95% of the country, English is what people speak predominantly. There are parts of the country where people do speak Irish. Um, they're known as Gwaeltucht areas. And even for me, um, you know, my some of my nieces went to a Gwale skull where they're taught entirely through Irish. So the language is still alive and it is still used, even if it is secondary to English in, in many respects. But um, it, it still impacts on um, the, the culture um, and it's it still, you know, it, it is still around. For, for example, um in 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 irish um one of the thing one of the things that how you would say hello one of the ways is diagwit and diagwit literally means god be with you okay yeah. um and that then the the response to that is dies Murgwit, which is is like god and god and mary be with you which is very catholic in in ways 
um, and, and that's a more recent phenomenon. But what it was was about like you trying to wish like even better things upon the person that you met. So for for like what what it was was essentially giving somebody like a blessing. So saying like yeah. a blessing upon you, and then the way in which you responded was even more blessings upon you. So I think that tells you a lot about a culture that, that the way of greeting each other was to, 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 to bestow blessings on one another. Yeah. You know, I think that is quite interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting because in English, you just say hello and you respond with hello. And it happens in, like, it's the same in many, many languages as well. And uh, yeah, like even if in Hong Kong, we started saying like hello and hi instead of speaking Cantonese. It, like, I mean, the greetings, we just use the English greetings, which is also like a blend of Western culture and Eastern culture. And yeah, and also just now when you say God bless you, um, like God bless you, something like that. And I just found it quite interesting because it's like, even in English, we, we still have the phrase God bless you. And it, all, it doesn't have, it doesn't happen in like many other languages. And it shows that like, like the religion, the God is actually embedded in the culture. Like, I don't know how many percent of UK or Irish people are still religious, but like, even even though you don't have a religious belief, you still, sometimes you still stay, say it, or you still, it's still, a, it's still, it's a phrase that is so common that it becomes a part of your language and it's not even, it's not directly associated with like uh, religion anymore. Yeah, I, I think that that is very true. Um, you know, I don't think you, a lot of, I think the people's, certainly in relation to organized religion, there were fewer people um, going to organized religious events in Ireland. And and yet, you know, it's still, um, parts of, of, of it still, you know, um, are still part of culture. Like you'd see a lot of, um, you know, um, more or older Irish people still bless themselves when they pass a church. And, and, and as you said, God bless you is still part of um, the, the lexicon. And Christmas, um, you know, even if people aren't celebrating the yeah. religious aspect of it, they, they, they recognize it as a cultural tradition. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a big part of it. And I think that you see that um, in, in, in culture, in, in many respects. So, um, people here in, in Ireland, um, have, have definitely kind of, uh, like Ireland underwent such a fundamental change in the nine, from the 1990s onwards. And it's, it's interesting if you were to compare the Ireland of the eighties with even the Ireland of the nineties and, and how quickly things changed, um, but the, the the influence look will will still be there, and I mean, even if you go back and and you're in the UK where you've got Stonehenge, and I'm in Ireland where there's Newgrange, like those uh, you know um, historic tombs and stuff, they they're still spoken about. People are still aware of those, even though they are thousands of years old. <sighs> Yeah, that's really interesting. I've always heard about people saying like they like there are secret things inside the tombs and you, you get haunted when you go in, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's really nice to see that the people are still um like they still there's they still treat the historical heritage as a access as a as a thing that they really value in their country and rather than uh like rather than an old thing that they don't care more about and uh yeah so i think it is a really interesting thing because like in hong kong back in hong kong we have uh like uh, because we have very little land so people often argue about whether we should preserve preserve the heritage the historical buildings or we should like um, remove them or renovate them so that uh, people more people can like we can build more house for people to live in to improve the living conditions of people it's really lucky that like in the uk we don't have this kind of like in most towns we don't have we have enough space and we don't have this kind of problem we can like and um we can actually generate a lot of interest a lot of tourists will come here to like visit the uh historical buildings the historical heritage and it's also like building up the sense of identity of uh like you you have a sense of belonging to your country if you have a lot of this kind of historical stuff yeah um i think so um that 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 is true as long as you know it's it's in like and i think irish people are are are, are they have that they they are happy you know and proud of being irish without hopefully um it becoming jingoistic or, or xenophobic you know i think that's the important thing is like it's it's you know that, that that's identity is great um and i i'm very happy i'm irish there's lots to 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 be but i think all cultures offer you many great aspects, you know, yeah. like there's, there's good things to everyone. We can all learn from, from each other. Yeah. Cause I have a friend who is at like at university and we're in the same class, same year and he's Irish. And uh, one day um, we were playing a board game and um, like in the game, um, uh, there are uh, the game board is actually different countries, but some of the country names are wrong and like, I think they did in purpose, like, uh, like they bind several countries together. And in that on that particular map, um, the UK is blind with Ireland into a single country. And in a game, he occupied UK and Ireland, the same area, and put all and put all his pieces in on on top of the island thing. And he said, yeah. and he keep he keeps telling me. Don't conquer Ireland if because he said that as long as Ireland is uh, belongs to him, um, he would have good luck in the game. I, I like his thinking on that. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, yeah, and as long as it's it's done in good fun, then then it's great. Yeah. So. Um, so um, I think that's all for today, and uh, thank you for coming to our show. And we, I hope that like you, can, you can like help more students to like, um, uh, like experience different cultures. And yeah, thank you. Well, thank you uh, for the opportunity to to come on and, and chat to you. And it has been really interesting, and it's always great for me to get the opportunity to talk to students because universities don't exist without students and yeah um, you know, but you we, already have a lot of opportunities to talk to students well I, I do but students from 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 different institutions as well no i i always um you know appreciate the opportunity so thank you for asking me to to come on and chat to you 
Yeah, thank you so much. I think our students really, really enjoyed your advice and your funny experience as well. Yeah, thank you. Great.